the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 The Answer presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information from the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. I'm getting closer to my house. Call now. 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Welcome back. It's Stephen Gaines sitting in for Dottie Herman, and we've got a great crew with us. Ham Himmelstein is on the line, who is one of the best tenant landlords attorney in the business, Dan Sater, who is our uh, Credit expert is still on the line with us. Um, Linda Winter Irving is our mortgage expert, and we've got the top real estate attorney in all of New York City for my money. Jerry Feeney is also hanging in line with us. So we've got a full house here. You guys better start calling in 866 970-9622. And before I uh, ask Sam Himmelstein some uh, questions about tenant landlord, I want to go back to an issue that we have mentioned here several times on the air, and it's about putting a homeless shelter on what they're calling Billionaire's Row. So the ex-deputy mayor of New York City, a former Giuliani deputy mayor, was hired by a group of wealthy residents to stop Mayor de Blasio's plan to plop a homeless shelter on Billionaire's Row. That's on West 58th Street. It's called the West 58th Street Coalition. It recruited Randy Mastro. I know Randy Mastro well. He's a terrific guy, but God, is he a tough guy. Um, to fight the uh, $60 million contract to turn the old Park Savoy Hotel between 6th and 7th Avenue into a men's shelter. Mastro said that the situation cries out for legal redress. And he's prepared to take gloves off in court as a former deputy mayor who litigates, he says. I've seen when the city screws up and when the city needs to be held accountable. So residents on the block have questioned whether the city was paying above average prices near Manhattan's hotspots simply so the mayor can brag about spreading social services. Wasting our hard-earned tax dollars to make a very questionable social point is not fair, says uh, one of the people who live there. Sam Himmelstein. Uh, do you have any comments on that uh, homeless shelter, uh, uh, where it's I, going? Yeah, I would ask the person who said it's not fair, then what is fair? Um, why why shouldn't a shelter be there as opposed to anywhere else? Uh, you know, people on Billionaire's Row already have tremendous life advantages as a result of their, you know, their, their wealth. And, you know, why not spread around, uh, well, you know, <clears throat> let me let me hey sam it's jerry let me let me take the counter uh, your question why not where let me let me give you the the other side of it mm-hmm. they could they could house 10 times more 
uh, clients, uh, homeless individuals in need of shelter, if they put it in a cheaper area. And the fact of the matter is that this appears to be being done simply as a dig by the mayor uh, and and making a social point rather than uh, to give maximum impact to the homeless situation, which is really what the dollar should be used for. I mean, it's 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 absurd to to, you know, rent a room in the Waldorf Astoria for a homeless person. You could rent 30 rooms for 30 homeless people with the same money if you went to a less expensive area so that that's the argument um that, that makes sense to me but you know the it's i don't know the exact statistics but i do know that poor and working class neighborhoods bear the brunt of of having a disproportionately high amount of these shelters and um you know you know i think the what the mayor is saying is you know and maybe he is making a point um, is that why not put it in a in a in a wealthy neighborhood? I, 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 your point about the economics makes sense, but um, I think continuing to burden people in 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 the in these other neighborhoods with more and more shelters uh, isn't fair either. So. Sam Randy Mastro claims his figures are that the price of housing about 150 men on that block could cost more than forty seven thousand dollars a bed yearly mm-hmm. you know an astronomical sum that dwarfs what's been spent for housing elsewhere it's not mm-hmm. only intolerable it's illegal he says so it's a, it's, it's a problem sam it's a it's a real problem so, uh, i agree I want- and, you know i i also think we have to start thinking about getting away from the whole shelter model um i think there have been studies and i can't cite them but that that say that it's much more economical to actually just find apartments for these people and let them live in 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 apartments and provide some social services as opposed to putting them in shelters or hotels um and it also helps you know if they can be transitioned back to you know some kind of a normal life yeah that that i've seen the same studies and and i absolutely agree it's and the statistics are, are overwhelming in favor of doing that, you know, particularly for people that are, you know, so-called, you know, the working poor, people that are mm-hmm. um, somewhat employed, but not enough to afford the expensive housing in New York. Uh, you give them the stability of uh, an apartment and uh, they're much more likely to remain in, in gainful employment. And mm-hmm. if they have substance abuse issues to remain in treatment. And um, there's all kinds of reasons why we should do it differently than we do. And especially I, I, given the crisis of what's going on with the housing authority, which in, in, in many ways is, was the last outpost for a lot of those folks. And a lot of those apartments are now uninhabitable and the city is first beginning to wake up and start, you know, why is the city into fixing them? Why is this housing authority so bad at maintaining housing? What What, what is the problem there? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I grew up in a New York City housing authority project, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Uh-huh in the 50s and 60s and it was a it was a pretty great place to live um it was well kept it was there were open airy spaces uh the apartments mm-hmm. were were you know they weren't beautiful but they were right. functional um I, I just think it's a crisis of money and mismanagement combined um I, I i can't imagine it's anything else i don't understand why they it seems pretty basic to, that you have to do repairs and 
provide heat and hot water and upgrade the boilers when they need upgrading. And certainly if it were private housing, that would happen. So uh, I can't imagine it's anything other than a combination of finances and, and bad management. Guys, I want to take a left turn here for just one minute, Sam. There's uh, And, Jerry, we have so many legal questions. Uh, but some lady has been holding on for the longest time with the sweetest question. And I know our team here will be able to help her. Ellen, are you still hanging on the line? I am, yes, Ellen. And, Ellen, please explain to us what, you, what your issue is. Oh, okay, it's not my issue, really, but somebody mentioned before about a person being questioned about her age when she wanted to adopt a kitten, if I understood the comment. Yes, that's it. I did have kittens one time that a stray cat had given me a few years ago, and a lovely neighbor man said that he wanted one of the kittens. So when one of them was, you know, when they were all six weeks old, the gentleman took a kitten, and the next morning he came to me and said, Ellen, you got to take this cat back. I can't stand it because kittens are full of life. So maybe the lady who wanted to adopt the little kitten would be better off waiting until the cat's about six months old or so, and they're not running around like crazy. So it's not. it had nothing to do because the expiration limit of the man who was adopting it was longer than the kitten. <laughs> no, it, it's the, the, all their little kittens are full of life, and they run around like crazy. They're Thank lots you. of fun. Thank you okay. for your advice, Ellen. Yes, I'm all glad right, you like... called in about that. Thank Sam you. Sam Himmelstein. Bye-bye. Yes. Do you have any advice on, on uh, rent-stabilized kittens? No. <laughs> well, I, what I will tell you is if, if you, you know, every, every residential lease that I've ever seen, not, not every, 90%, have no pet clauses in them. Right. Um, and it, it does, if you're a rent-stabilized tenant and you get a pet and the landlord within three months of finding out about it can, can evict you for it. Now, now having said that, I've been practicing for 38 years, and I've only seen one eviction case where the landlord went after someone for having a cat. <laughs> so uh, landlords don't seem to care about cats. It's only dogs or other more exotic pets that will get you in trouble. So many right. cats, and you don't clean up after them, and it creates a nuisance, which is another issue. But if, if you're going to get a pet and you want to stay under the radar and not worry about getting evicted, cats are much safer. I have some questions here for you, Sam. Um, A question from a uh, reader. I've been living in a rent-stabilized apartment for 40 years. When my children were born, I put their names on the lease. Mm -hmm. If I move out, can my adult children or grandchildren take my place? Can you just do that, put somebody else's name on the lease? No. So there there are two ways that people's names, family members, can be quote-unquote, put on a lease. One is you ask the landlord to make them co-tenants. The answer to that question will be no. Landlords will never, ever consent to having children, grandchildren, anyone else put on the lease because that means that if the tenant leaves or dies, that person would automatically inherit the apartment because they're a co-tenant. The only people that the law requires to be added as tenants to a lease are spouses. So, but then sometimes leases have a rider that asks you to list or the landlord will send a demand asking who else is living in the apartment. That's what people often mean by adding to the lease. So in the, in the question that was asked, 
Um, the only way the kids or grandchildren could take over the apartment, regardless of whether they were listed, is if they co-occupy the apartment for two years immediately preceding the date when the tenant permanently vacates the apartment. And that period of two years is shortened to one year if the successor children or grandchildren at the time are 62 or older or are disabled. So you have to have a 62-year-old child. Well, that, was, that only shortens the period to one year of co-occupancy. If, well, hopefully, if, if you 62, do have a 62-year-old child, it would only shorten it to one year because it would mean you're in your 80s or 90s. That's at that right, point. and that and that and it's not an uncommon situation, believe it or not. So, um, and and I have to say that a, a fairly big part of my practice is people coming into me and asking me, "How do I make sure that my kids or grandchildren take over the apartment? I'm about to leave. I'm about to retire to Florida." and you know, I tell them what to do. They they literally have to move in and and live with the the tenant for for the two year period if they're under sixty two. Um, and if they do, and they can prove it, and they have the paper trail, most landlords don't fight it because they realize they're not going to have it. They're not going to win if they take it to court. Also, but somebody wants to know what about short term rentals like Airbnb? Is that completely Airbnb is completely illegal in multiple dwellings in New York City now, regardless of whether you're rent stabilized or not. And it multiple will get dwellings, trouble. meaning um, the, the 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 law the law is really really bad right now for tenants who use Airbnb if they particularly if they profiteer, um, which you know makes some sense. I mean, if 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 the government is going to tell landlords that they cannot charge market rent and they can't charge more than a certain amount um it really is not right that that tenants should be able to then charge more than what they're paying um i've had many many cases where clients repeatedly used airbnb and charged a daily rate that was double or triple what what their daily rate was um and if tenants get and landlords scour the pages of the, the websites to, to see if they can find their apartments being rented there. Um, and what I tell clients when they come in in these cases is that if you immediately stop, never do it again, and you refund every penny of the overcharges, um, I may be able to save your apartment. But if you don't do all of those things, you're, you're history. You're going to lose the apartment. And there are some recent appellate decisions that have that have really come down hard on tenants even tenants who are conceitedly economically strapped and are using this you know who are living on social security and are and are using the money to survive there was a recent case in like that where that where the court you know ruled that the woman should be evicted dan Sater, have you ever been involved in a in a uh, in a case in a credit case that involves somebody being evicted? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I haven't gotten into that. Most, most of the time, I have one right now that's involving a uh, loan modification that the taxes weren't paid for like eight years. And uh, it turns out that the, uh, the the mortgage company, when they wrote rewrote the loan modification, forgot to add the tax amount into it. And so he paid what they asked for, 
and for 84 months he produced certified checks on it and they lost the case because uh, they falsely reported to the credit bureau that that uh, he didn't pay it and according to the contract he paid the contract amount on time fascinating fascinating so you by the way what do you do if you can't afford to pay your taxes dan do you have a uh, a specific idea on what to do i i have some suggestions here if it's less than three hundred dollars you put it on your credit card does that make sense well yeah that can't be a a bad thing because three hundred dollars should be fairly easy for most people to pay off um the only problem is that if you're dealing with larger amounts, as in Long Island, New York City area here, especially in the Nassau and Suffolk County, um, that could get quite expensive, and it might be uh, might add more stress and strain to you uh, keeping your finances uh, solvent by uh, you know having so much added debt. You can also take out. Uh, you can also. B- borrow the money from the not borrow the money but owe the money to the IRS and pay it out over a year or several years yeah I would assume that they would be certainly willing to uh, you know work with uh, homeowners to uh, get the money and more than a thousand dollars the IRS will charge you for setting a, a fee for setting up an installment plan so you can do a direct debit agreement where they they take the money out every month if you can't pay your taxes I guess. Do you know who could not pay his taxes and didn't pay his taxes for <clears> a million years? Who? Um, oh. The uh, the guy until Anthony Bourdain. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain, the travel guy. Anthony yeah. Bourdain, the travel guy, didn't pay oh. his taxes for ten years. Oh. <laughs> and what happened to him? Before Anthony Bourdain's career took off with his best-selling memoir, he had zero savings and hadn't filed taxes in a decade. In in my daily life, he says, the goal was to muffle the anxiety that I'd feel as I tried to drift off to sleep, knowing that at any point, what little money I had in my bank account could be garnished by the IRS. Yeah, that'll keep you awake at night. I think uh, DMX just got sentenced to a year also, the uh, musician. You go to to jail? Well, you can. Not not for not paying your taxes, but for uh, if you do a a tax avoidance scheme or tax fraud, that would be criminal, but... Not paying your taxes is not a criminal uh, offense. Well, you know, like like the Brits who used to throw people in debtors' prison and because they couldn't pay their debt, and then of course you can't pay your debt when you're in debtors' prison. But well, well, nowadays you know you don't pay taxes, uh, it becomes uh, a tax lien on your credit report. But I have some good news on that. You know, a lot of people on Facebook uh, websites are asking, uh, what's the best way to remove a tax lien? Do any of you know what the best way to remove a tax lien is right now? No. To remove it, not just market satisfied, yeah, but actually... To remove it from the credit report. From the record? No, I don't know. Wait nine days. What? And the reason that you wait nine days is because the, there are new changes in the credit bureau reporting. Mm-hmm. And beginning April 16, 2018... They are going to remove all tax liens from consumer credit reports and cease reporting all tax lien data in the future. Really? Oh, well, that's, inc- that's, that's a good. That's thing. good, I think, because uh, Wait, it can be again. very, uh, can be this very misleading. Because of the new tax laws. Yeah, well, this I, mean, I think we have a break. We should probably take this do. after the break. Yeah. But Dan, we'll, we'll we'll discuss this. And Sam, when we come back, I want to know what if your neighbor snores. 
Can you get him out? Can you get out? What if your neighbor smokes pot? Can you get him out? Can you? And we're going to find out about removing this tax lien, too, as soon as we come back uh, from this break. So don't go anywhere, please. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Hey, it's Stephen Gaines sitting in for Dottie Herman. Sam Himmelstein is uh, with us, who is a, a tenant's landlord attorney. Uh, Dan Sader is with us, who is a, uh, a credit expert, our, uh, Dottie's co-host. Um, is with us Jerry Feeney, who is an all-around a brilliant attorney for us. And uh, who do we got? got we got uh, Glenda Jackson is on the, yeah. not the actress, <laughs> but uh, who is a, a mortgage expert. Um, and uh, by the way, Glenda, I finally got a mortgage. I finally got a mortgage. Great! And I, went, I went to a mortgage broker. What benefit does a mortgage broker have than going directly to the bank? That they can go to many different banks. Mortgage brokers um, can, you know, they're they're sort of intermediaries between you and the bank. And yes, they have multiple relationships generally. Whereas if you work directly with the bank, uh, you only have access to that bank's products. Now, I'll tell you something interesting because I went to this mortgage broker, and guess what bank she brought me to. Citizens. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better place. Isn't that, isn't that terrific? She brought me to Citizens Bank, and as I said before, Citizens is the third largest mortgage lender in the Northeast. That includes those giant name banks and everything. So even though I went to a broker, I got my best deal, and I got my mortgage <laughs> at Citizens Bank, and I am Perfect. very grateful. I am now a Citizens Bank customer. I have a credit card there, which Dan Sater is teaching me not to use or how to <laughs> and I uh, and I have a loan there, so I'm very very grateful. Uh, Sam Himmelstein, one side of me, the guy snores like crazy. Mm-hmm. The other side yeah. of me, the guy's kids smoke pot. What do right. I, what do I have to do? What can I do? Okay, this is a this is another hot area. Um, so you know when people live in in, in an urban environment in an apartment. They're expected to put up with a certain amount of noise, smells, other things that, that come along with it. it there is a, there's a court decision that goes back decades where one of the tenant's kids was practicing some musical instrument for 10 hours a day. And, and the noise was conceitedly penetrating the neighbor's apartment. And the court said, too bad. That's what happens when you live in an urban environment. If the activity is legal, um, uh, you, you got to put up with it as long as it's not being done at unreasonable hours. And that's pretty much before 8 in the morning and after maybe 8 or 10, 10 at night. But that has but to do with snoring. You do snore. Snoring, snoring you'll never – a tenant complaining about a neighbor snoring will get nowhere because – Number one, it's not an intentional activity. It it's probably relates to some medical condition. Uh, and number two, if the, if the landlord takes action against that person, that person could file a complaint at the Human Rights Commission saying that they're being discriminated against because of a medical condition. 
if, if the snoring comes from, say, sleep apnea or something but like Sam, that. Sam, is that true? Does everybody who snores snores because of a medical condition? No, not My father not snored. I didn't think no. he had a medical condition. But, but it's certainly not an intentional behavior. And so the only remedy really would be that if the, if the, if the walls in the apartment are so sound, uh, allow sound to, like snoring to penetrate, you might be able to argue that the landlord under the warranty of habitability would have to somehow better noise insulate the building. Um, but uh, with snoring, I, I, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, but if the person smoking- who's bothered by the snoring tried smoking some of the pot from the other neighbor, then maybe they would, <laughs> maybe they would go to sleep a little easier and right. stop being so annoying. <laughs> exactly. Uh, or the, or that might make it worse because you, know, you might, you might want to focus completely on the snoring. <laughs> but, um, as far as pot uh, and, and smoking in general, um, it's, it's interesting. You could probably get into more trouble smoking pot if it's penetrating the neighbor's apartment than smoking cigarettes, which is odd because I think it's pretty clear that inhaling secondhand smoke from cigarettes is probably more dangerous than inhaling pot smoke. And the reason is that that marijuana is only legal in New York for medical reasons. So if the tenant next door is smoking pot and um, doesn't have a medical reason and isn't buying it from a dispensary, um, they're engaging in a illegal technically illegal activity although it's not enforced in new york anymore and you could probably complain to the landlord and have the landlord start some kind of a case against them uh, on the contrary if, if they were smoking cigarettes um and and which is completely legal obviously again there's nothing that you could do to the tenant but you might be able to under the warranty of habitability argue that the if the building if, if the building is constructed in such a way that it's allowing smoke to penetrate from one apartment to the next, the landlord might have an obligation to try to do something to seal that up and prevent it from happening. I'm not sure I'm, I agree that. Go ahead. I'm not sure I agree it's illegal to smoke. I believe the law says it's illegal to possess in certain quantities, but I don't think I've never seen anything in any of the drug statutes that no, I think talked right, about yeah. using it. So I, yeah. I, if I were defending that person, I would say, listen, um, you know, if it, the, the illegality is in the possession and the possession doesn't bother my neighbor. So go, go get a hobby. You know, right. I, I, I oftentimes tell people who call and, you know, want to sue their neighbor for this or that, you know, exactly what you said in the beginning, which is, you live in an urban environment. That's part of the contract. You don't get perfect silence. And you got to be reasonable. And hopefully people will be reasonable with you when you make a little extra noise, you know? Exactly right. There are a well, lot of noise-sensitive people. In yeah. In noise York. is probably, I'm sure, probably the number one phone call to, uh, uh, to the complaint level. But I, I did once live in a building where the guy upstairs would bang on my door every, every time he walked by my door and said, you're smoking pot in there. I felt like I was in my bedroom in my house. My dad was, you know, you're smoking pot in there, you know, so get out of there. Uh, Jared, by the way, what is a legacy contract? A legacy contract is usually referring to a, a contract that uh, has been pending for a couple of years, and it's usually related to new construction where we sometimes see the 
buyers entering into the contract, buying what we call plans and specs, meaning the building hasn't been built. Oftentimes it hasn't even been started when people actually enter into the contract. And, and then the, the property is delivered three years later, two, three years later. And, you know, of course, the price is, is frozen at the contract. So sometimes you're, you're getting a good deal if the market has gone up. And if the market has uh, decreased, then sometimes you're not getting such a good deal anymore. That's a legacy contract. I wanted Sam. to. Sam. Yes, Steve. Yeah. I, ahead, could please. I raise an issue? Is that all right? You bet. Um, sure. Speak into okay. the phone if you can. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, cause, especially because Dan is there. Um, one of the problems we see in the landlord tenant world is the problem of what we call tenant blacklisting, um, uh, where every single tenant that is sued in landlord tenant court gets put into these databases called uh, tenant registries or tenant screening bureaus. And uh, when they go to rent another apartment, if they've been sued by their landlord, they are often told, go, go, we don't want you. And, and it has nothing to do with the merits of the case. It has nothing to do with whether they were correct or incorrect legally in, in either withholding their rent or, or, you know, being brought in on a holdover. And then if a judgment is entered against them, even a judgment of possession, not, not just a money judgment, mm-hmm. but a possessory judgment, it shows up on their credit reports. Um, and I was just really? wondering if, if you, any of you have seen this problem or experienced mm-hmm. it, because it's well, a really I, huge problem yeah, for us. I, so. I, agree. I agree with you that it's a huge problem. I, I see it in my world when someone's uh, rejected by a co-op board, and, and now mm-hmm. we see a trend with attorneys wanting to put in the contract when they're representing a seller. They want my client to represent that they've never been rejected by a co-op board, to which I mm-hmm. simply as a matter of principle refuse to agree to because, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. If you've been rejected by a co-op board, it just doesn't mean anything. It means you've been rejected by a co-op board. That's it. Right. Uh, could be for any reason. Could be for any reason or or no reason or even a discriminatory reason. And now all of a sudden the person has to wear a scarlet letter around with them. I, I think this should be absolutely banned. I don't think that you should be able to discriminate against somebody based on their you know, having been a litigant in, in a proceeding, mm-hmm. particularly when all the facts of the proceeding are not out there. But That's Dan, what do, you, right. yeah. what do you see from a credit perspective, Dan? Um, as far as them reporting it? Well, the, you know, uh, he, he just mentioned that even a possessory judgment, which means that, you know, maybe no rent is owed, but they're given possession of the apartment back to the landlord, uh, that, that gets entered on the credit report. That well, you, you do know that as of uh, September of last year, um, especially TransUnion uh, is not reporting any judgments on the credit report at all. Mm-hmm. And I think the other two bureaus are pretty much following suit because most of them got disqualified to begin with because they didn't have the proper personal uh, identifying information on them. Um, and there are four basic things, name, address, full name, address, social security number, or date of birth. And because they weren't reporting correctly and because there were a lot of errors on judgments getting put on the wrong person's credit report, uh, became more of a hassle than it was worth. And uh, they're kind of steering clear of, of putting that on. Mm, well, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I do, too. Anything that's less on your credit report, although I guess it's very valuable to know who you're leasing to. But Sam, you, you handle mostly tenants against landlords, is that correct? Or do you uh, also handle- Pretty much ex- exclusively uh, tenants, yes. 
exclusively. And so there is your uh, there is a guy out there who handles landlords. Is he the bad guy? <laughs> and you're the uh, good guy? <laughs> oh no, no, no. I don't I I gave up I gave up that view of the world a long time ago. <laughs> In fact, I am a landlord. So I own a two-family house. So uh if I if I tar every landlord and landlord lawyer with that brush, I, I'd be self-hating. Um, no, I, I I get along with 98 percent of my colleagues, and I respect them, and I I don't see it as a black and white or good or bad issue anymore. Um, you know, um, I, I just I like representing hang the on. underdog. We, we hang on, we're gonna we're gonna be right back after this. Okay. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Hey, it's Stephen Gaines sitting in for Dottie Herman, but Dottie's co-host, Jerry Feeney, is certainly here to answer your legal questions. Attorney Sam Himmelstein is here to answer your tenant-landlord questions. Dan Sater is also on the line to handle any of your credit questions. And if you are looking for a mortgage... Glenda Winter Irving of the beautiful name Glenda Winter Irving is also here. She is our mortgage expert and knows of what she speaks. So please give us a ring if you have questions on any of those subjects at 866-970-9622. Before uh, we go back to our regular stuff, I, I just saw this thing in the newspaper that I thought was absolutely fascinating. Okay. there's I don't even know where to start. There's a guy named Guy... Tizzoli, and he was a former Port Authority official who was arguably the most important figure in the construction of the original World Trade Center. He supervised the development. He hired the architect who designed the Twin Towers. He put the windows of the uh, windows of the World Restaurant on top, and he used the excavated landfill to create Battery Park City. He was really a guy that made it happen, it says in very many uh, biographies. The book's written about the World Trade Center. A year before retiring from the authority in 1987, he acquired, get this, the complex's naming rights and the amazingly cheap $10 sale price. Okay? So for $10, he acquired the naming rights. This means that his, he's head of a nonprofit that charges its more than 300 members now an initiation fee of $250,000 and annual dues of $12,500 for the rights to christen your building the World Trade Center, a World Trade Center. There are World Trade Centers now all over the place. And it's quite unbelievable they can't get this away from him because it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate fee. Hmm. The building at first didn't fulfill expectation. It seemed everyone's benefit to set up an organization to promote the World Trade Center. Um, and he died in 2013, but um, he supplemented his Port Authority pension with a $626,000 salary uh, with naming this stuff. So if you want to Smart name this, guy. isn't that unbelievable now? You can name your building the World Trade Center. Um, by paying that, it's a big fee. It's two hundred and fifty thousand bucks. But he only paid ten dollars to get the naming rights. Amazing, amazing. I can't believe that there are all these World Trade Centers all over the world now. But there, there are uh, indeed. Um, how 
uh, somebody left their gas on twice. Sam Himmelstein, a tenant yeah. left their gas on twice. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the landlord wants to evict them. Evict them. Mm-hmm. What chance? Um, he almost caused well, danger, burned down okay. the building. Yeah. So in 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 nuisance law, the, the the type of case that a landlord would bring against that tenant would be called a nuisance proceeding, nuisance holdover. So in nuisance law, we have one mantra, which is one incident is not enough. Um, if you can do almost anything once, unless maybe you kill your neighbor or something like that, <laughs> um, and, and not get evicted. Um, I've had cases involving tenants assaulting people and vandalizing the property, but there was only one incident, and, and, and since nuisance, by definition, is a pattern of conduct, um, you can get away with it. Twice, leaving the gas on, you're pushing the envelope. A, because you have multiple incidents, and B, because it's a, it's a very, very dangerous thing. Now, I've had several cases where tenants left the gas on, and it almost always has to do, they're not doing it intentionally. Um, you know, uh, actually, I did have one case where someone tried to commit suicide, but other than that, they, 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 they're not doing it intentionally, and the reason that they're doing it is because they are de- developing early dementia or they have some other issue which is causing them to forget. So what I recommend, there are, there are devices that you can get. I, I don't know what they're called, but that will somehow automatically turn the gas on your stove off if you leave it on. And when I defend one of these cases, that's how I handle them. I, 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 I usually go, I go to the client and I say, you, you got to, this is a practical solution. And usually if I can show the court that I've solved the problem and it's not going to happen again, I can avoid a person getting evicted. If, if it happened many, many more times, they weren't willing to take remedial measures. If it was combined with other conduct, then we would have a problem. Um, when my father got old, Sam, he nearly burned down the kitchen. He he didn't mm-hmm. turn the, leave the gas on, but he put water up to boil and then, you know, yep. yeah, it boiled away. And but, it was a mess. There are, for almost every one of these problems, so I've had cases also where people left water running, either in a sink or a bathtub, and flooded the apartment. For almost every one of these problems, there is some kind of technical device that you can get that will will shut off you know, will will cause the thing to shut down if it reaches a certain point. Right. David from uh, New York City, uh, you're on the air. What's your issue? Uh, How are you doing? I want to say hi to Jerry, you, Stephen, and the rest of the team. I have a quick question. I think this should be directed to, I guess, Ms. Irving. Uh, I have uh, my credit score is about 845. Uh, I have a 20% to pay down, and the income is about 87. My question is, I don't have any trade lines other than American Express for 29 years in good standing, and uh, will my landlord getting a letter from him help that I've never been late uh, with the rent, or should I just go get another one or two trade lines? Um, Can you just give me some sense of the size of the mortgage you'd likely be? 300. Okay, so that's what we—that's a conforming loan. We call that loans under four hundred and fifty-three thousand. So, if you have one long-term usage, one trade line usage, your American Express card, then 
that will generally be approved, you know, under the Fannie Freddie conforming loan. I thought that, Models. thank you for that. I thought that yeah. because the American Spitz might be considered a travel bar and not a, a trade line uh, Is, qualification. Right. They no, call no, it a no. Charge card, don't they, instead yeah. of a credit card? Yes, but it does go onto your credit report. I just so didn't she- want to go and. You know, create something else and take away from the down payment and, and, and keep things as good as I have. I want to just go create something. Mm. Dan, what do you think? Should he open? To, uh, uh, he's already has an eight fifty credit rating. Well, it's eight forty five. Eight forty five. Let's not give him five more points. You know, <laughs> but um, when you got the eight forty five, where did you get that from? Were you applying for a car loan or for a bank card? No, or no I actually, actually, I went to get pre qualified. And I only had uh, 15% down at that time, so I thought maybe I should get to 20% so I don't have any PMI. Mm-hmm. So I, I just took the next year and aggressively saved, paid everything, and kept everything in, in order. Yeah, basically what you really need um, is to have a couple different trade lines because the FICO scoring right. model doesn't like to see just one trade line. The long history, of course, does give you a lot of uh, um, uh, cover for that. Uh, but it, it certainly would be a benefit to you to have two or three trade lines. And then so it might go pay, to like a, a Best Buy and maybe get a, I don't know, a, a small laptop or something small, maybe a $39 a month payment just to show some history or something like that? Yeah, well, you want to avoid things that are like we considered finance company credit cards. Mm-hmm. So you're probably better off getting a Visa or a MasterCard. Um, this what about co- if I went to the Citizens Bank and got their card? Just Sounds like a marvelous idea. Listen, it's a great idea. I got a citizen's yeah, bank card when I got my mortgage. Experts. I just don't want to, because I'm planning on applying for this in, in uh, the mortgage in June. Mm-hmm. So I figured, let me give myself uh, all of April and May to have at least two payments. And so when I qualify, I think you mentioned something about 30, 30 days or something, mm-hmm. whatever that formula is. Right. So I could just be in, in a pretty good David, you said that you went to a lending institution, did you, to get pre-qualified? And that's where you got your credit from? And so did that lending institution tell you they could pre-approve you or not? Yes, they just made mention about another one or two credit lines would be helpful the ideal. and bump me up mm-hmm. a little higher. Just, But again, like I said, I was on strict budget and didn't want to I had to weigh out, do you get the credit card and start paying that and then only have 18% to put down on the down payment? That, that was my group to me. So, David, listen listen to both Dan and, and uh, Glenda. Yes. Uh, if you get a second credit card, don't get, like, a store credit card. You know, get right. a credit card right. from... Uh, the, even the bank that you like went to. Like Discover or something, would that qualify? Because they mail me these things yes. all the time. And uh, MCU, because I have about 60000 in there. They always send me every, but I, I don't, you know, change. But I know now they want to see, as Dan indicated earlier, they want to see consistent scenes to get you around and, and all of that. So uh, I was just trying to do the right thing. David, do you want to give me a call? You can reach. Uh, you can Let's actually. Let everybody give their numbers. How yeah. how do you reach you before we go off the air? How do we reach you, Glenda? Okay, you can reach me 
um, on 917-941-0516. That is the best number to reach me. Okay, I'm sorry to take up your time. I know you're running. Sam Hemmelstein, Sam, 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 what's your number? Sam Hemmelstein here, 212 Three four nine three thousand extension one two two six. Sam, one more time, please. Two one two three four nine three thousand extension one two two six. And Dan Sater, how do we reach you? Well, the best way is my uh, email, creditguy at yahoo.com. And Jerry Feeney, Jerry Feeney. I on real estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank NA. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.